please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 6 with me. We're going to be concluding the Sermon on the Plain this morning, Lord willing. As you turn there, just again uh, echo Ben's words of, of thanks to those of you who have responded to fulfilling some of the needs in our children's ministry. I encourage you to continue to do so. Excited about uh, concluding Luke chapter 6 with you this morning. I'm going to be uh, at Living Hope Community Church uh, next week, and Pastor Art Georges will, will be here. And excited about the opportunity to, to be at our, our sister church and for our sister church to be here somewhat as well. And then the following week, I'm, I'm going to be in, in Texas uh, celebrating my little, well, celebrating is such a strong word. My little sister's getting married. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, she's the last one in the family that to, to get married, and, and I'm, I'm excited for her in all, all seriousness. She's marrying a, a Presbyterian, but uh, the Lord has been gracious otherwise. <laughs> this thing on? Okay. Luke chapter 6. So, uh, so uh, we'll be returning to Luke chapter 7 in three weeks, and excited to, to be able to do that as, as well. Well, please stand with me as we read God's Word together this morning. Luke uh, chapter 6, uh, Jesus' concluding words in the Sermon on the Plain. Verse 46, Jesus says, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you? Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He is like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against that house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it, immediately it fell, and the ruin of that house was great. May God encourage us through his word this morning. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your words here, uh, words that are words of caution and, and hope. We pray that you'd open our, our hearts to hear your words, and not just to hear them, but to do them through the enabling of your Holy Spirit as we make Christ Lord in our hearts. And we pray this in your Son, Jesus' name. Amen. I don't enjoy offending people unintentionally. I prefer offending people on purpose. No, in all seriousness, I, I don't enjoy, it's not one of the least favorite, one of my least enjoyable aspects of my job when I, I cause people offense, but uh, sometimes it's inevitable. Uh, this past week, I was returning a phone call. I had received a very, a very gracious invitation uh, to speak at a pro-life event, and so I was uh, calling this woman who invited me, again, very graciously. I was calling her back to talk to her about this event, and as we talked about the event, I said, well, what exactly would my involvement entail? And she said, well, essentially, uh, here's kind of the layout of the program. Uh, you would be uh, speaking, and there would also be a, uh, a priest who would be speaking and praying, and there would also be a monk who would be there, and he'd be speaking and praying, and then a leader from another church would be speaking and, and praying. And uh, essentially, the, the meeting was not just a, a pro-life rally, it was also, in some senses, uh, a, a prayer service where we came together as, where we come together as, as one church to, to pray that God would end abortion in our land. I said, well, let me just be very, very clear with you, very transparent, very honest with you. I said, as much as I uh, love 
many Roman Catholic friends, as, as, as dear as I, I hold those people, as, as much as I love to, to partner with Roman Catholics in, in ending abortion in a political sense, I said, I don't feel uh, in my conscience that I can participate in what I, what I see in some ways as a worship service uh, with representatives of the Roman Catholic Church. And, and here's why. I said, I believe there is no more important message than the gospel of Jesus Christ. I believe there is no more important message to communicate to a person than how they can be transferred from death to life, how they can be reconciled to God. I said, I believe that a person is reconciled to God, comes into relationship with God, and becomes part of God's family through one way only, and that is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. I said, I believe that there are many Roman Catholics whose faith is in Jesus Christ alone, but frankly, again, I'm just trying, I said, I'm trying to be clear, very clear with you because this message is so important. I believe the official teaching of the Roman Catholic Church is at odds with the gospel, that salvation is by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Now, understandably, uh, after I said this, I found out that this woman was a part of the Roman Catholic Church, um, which was fine. I had tried to say the words graciously enough, assuming that might be the case. And uh, she was understandably confused by what I had said, and uh, she felt that uh, per- perhaps um, I was uh, in danger of being arrogant and judgmental. Maybe not perhaps. Um, and so I, I, I told her, I said, well, uh, I, I understand why you might think that a person who says that would be arrogant or judgmental, but, but let me tell you this. I, I believe that Jesus said that some people are going to say to him someday, Lord, Lord, and point to their works as evidence of their relationship with him, and he's going to say, I don't know you. There are going to be people in the world who call out to Jesus as Lord, and yet have not truly made him Lord of their lives by coming to him by faith alone in him, recognizing his lordship and their need to submit completely to him by faith alone. I said, because I believe that, I go to scripture and I say, how does scripture tell us that we can be reconciled to God? I said, scripture teaches us that we're reconciled to God by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. And because that message is so central, I believe that it would be arrogant of me to teach anything differently to that. Those are hard words. Those are offensive words. But those are also precious words. And there are some words that I say this morning that I, I fear may be found offensive to some. And I pray, as I've been preparing for this message, that God would give me the grace to, to speak graciously. And as we communicate this, this hard truth that a person who calls out, Lord, Lord, is not necessarily a part of God's family, I pray that that message would be conveyed in a spirit of love and that our hearts would be edified and encouraged as we think through what Jesus is saying here as he concludes his sermon on the plain. What I want to do is begin by looking at verse 46. So look at verse 46 with me. We're going to kind of do an introduction as we look at verse 46 as Jesus presents a problem. Then we're going to look at verses 47 and 48 and see the characteristics of one who truly calls Jesus Christ Lord. And then we're going to look at verse 49 and we're going to see the characteristics of one who falsely calls Jesus Christ Lord. Look at verse 46 with me. Verse 46, Jesus presents the problem. Why do you call me 
Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do. Now remember the context in which Jesus says this. He's been giving this sermon on the plain. He's been talking about kingdom ethics. He's been talking about the the standard of conduct that's true for someone who's part of God's kingdom. He's just completed talking about fruit. Remember we looked at fruit last week. He presents an agricultural truth, a truth about plants, that leads to an anthropological truth, the truth about human beings. The agricultural truth, remember, is this. Uh, if there is good fruit, it means that there is a good tree. If there is bad fruit, that means that there is a bad tree. You can look at the fruit and determine what type of tree it came from. That points to a truth about you and me as human beings. You look at the fruit in your life, and if you see good fruit, it means that your heart has been transformed by the gospel. Your heart has been changed, and you're producing good fruit because the heart is good. Out of the storehouse of the heart comes good. Conversely, if there is bad action that's coming out, it's because there is a heart problem. Good heart, good heart, good fruit, bad heart, bad fruit. Then Jesus says this in verse 46. Here's the problem. Why are you saying with your mouth, Lord, Lord, that is, you're addressing me as Lord, you're recognizing the authority that I have in your life, you're saying, Lord, Lord, to me, that's what's coming out of your mouth, and yet, what actions am I seeing? Lack of obedience. Why would you call me Lord, Lord, and yet not do what I do? What Jesus is saying, your actions indicate the condition of your heart. And as I look at the condition of your heart, if the heart were right, if the heart were good, if the heart had been transformed, good actions would be flowing from that. What lack of obedience indicates, therefore, is that the words are empty. The words are worthless. A person is calling out, Lord, Lord, and yet that doesn't come from a heart that's been transformed by the gospel, and therefore those words are worthless. They're useless. Jesus would say in Luke 8, 21, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. The very disturbing, hard truth that Jesus says here is that works are going to accompany true saving faith. A person that has a heart that's been transformed by the gospel, by placing one's faith in Jesus, calling Jesus Christ Lord, the person who's truly done that is going to have works that flow from that, obedience that comes from a heart that's truly recognized Christ's lordship. In other words, simply saying Jesus Christ is Lord doesn't make it so. Our five-year-old, Noah, is kind of the, the family clown right now. He's kind of in that, that stage of life where everything he says is, is pretty funny, often pretty funny. Uh, this past week, we were, and also, uh, Noah has this uh, ability to imitate people, and if you wa- have spent much time with Noah, you'll hear him quote some movie or a book that he's read or had read to him. He's just uh, constantly mimicking, and it's, it's very fun to watch. Uh, this past week, the rest of the family was seated on the couch. Uh, Noah walks by, sees an audience, and he goes, hey, guys, look at me. Picks up my cell phone. I'm a teenager. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we die, right? Simply because Noah says, I'm a teenager, doesn't make him a teenager. Uh, simply because a person says, hey, Christ is Lord, doesn't mean that they have a heart that by faith recognizes that Christ truly is Lord. Saying Lord, Lord doesn't make Christ Lord of your heart. 
obedience must come from a heart that calls Christ Lord. This message is very important this morning. There's a possibility that you're here this morning, you've been confronted with the truths of Jesus Christ, and as you've thought about the truths of Jesus Christ, you've never responded in faith, truly submitting to Christ's lordship over your life. That could be true for you. In fact, in an audience this size, I would almost guarantee that that is the case. Also this morning, what we're going to see is that the person who truly has submitted their heart to Christ and acknowledged his lordship is a person that's going to continue in the faith. And there are storms ahead in your life. Some of you have placed your faith in Jesus Christ. You've truly made him as Lord in your heart. And there are storms on your horizon. There's going to be a financial crisis. There's going to be some sort of crisis with your family. There's going to be something that tests the genuineness of your faith. And my exhortation to you this morning is to press on, to persevere. And as those storms arise, as those things threaten the very foundation of your faith in the Lord, to continue acknowledging Christ as Lord. We're going to look at the the truth of that this morning as I exhort you to, to persevere in your faith. The central idea, I believe, of this text, verses 46 through 49 is that the one who truly calls Christ Lord is saved. The one who truly calls Christ Lord is saved. They're saved in an immediate sense, as they face various trials and persevere in them. They're also the one who is saved in an eternal sense. We'll talk more about that as we go on. The one who truly calls Christ Lord is is saved. Let's first of all look at the characteristics of one who truly calls Christ Lord. Look at verse 47. He says, uh, everyone who comes to me, the first characteristic of a person who truly calls Christ Lord is that they have come, they've come to Jesus. Characteristic number one, they've come, they come to Jesus. The one who truly calls Christ Lord comes to Jesus. Look back earlier in chapter six, verse 17. uh, As he begins this sermon on the plain, it says that Jesus came down with them. He stood on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him. So all the people that he's speaking to here have come to hear him. The first characteristic of one who's going to truly call Christ Lord is that they come to Jesus, they they are around him, they're aware of him, right? The second characteristic that we see here in verse 47, the one who truly calls Christ Lord hears his words. Comes to Jesus and hears his words. That word hear means not just to to listen to the words, but uh, listen with an ear to, to obey, to understand that there's authority behind the declaration that's being made. Jesus throughout scripture Throughout the Gospels, we'll say, he who hears my words, he has ear to hear, let him hear. Verse 27 of chapter 6, he says, but I say to you who hear, this is, there's this idea that the person who's hearing understands that these words are meant to be authoritative. And so the person that, co- that is going to truly call Christ Lord, number one, comes to Jesus. Number two, hears his words. Number three, this is important, does his words. Something happens between hearing his word and doing his word. That thing that happens is that the person recognizes the authority of Jesus and places their faith in Jesus, recognizing his lordship. Look back at 
chapter 6, we're kind of summarizing the Sermon on the Plain here. Look at the things that Jesus has said to do. He said to do some very difficult things. He said, look, blessed are the poor, woe to the rich. Blessed are those who are hungry, woe to those who are full now. Blessed are those who are weeping, woe to those who are laughing. Blessed are those who are persecuted, woe to those of you whom everyone is speaking well of. He said things like, you need to love your enemies. You need to do good to those who hate you. Instead of uh, only lending to those who can pay you back, lend to those from whom you expect nothing in return. Jesus has said some very hard words, and Jesus is saying this, bless the, the one who comes to me and hears my words and does them recognizing my authority, recognizing this isn't what I would intuitively decide to do on my own, but Jesus Christ has authority over my life. He's my Lord. I'm going to not just call him Lord, Lord, but recognize his absolute lordship over my life and do the things that he calls me to do. Jesus says that's a characteristic of one who's truly calling me Lord. Jesus has told his audience to do very difficult things, and the true followers of Jesus submit themselves to his authority. Uh, Whitney and I received uh, as a Christmas present, I've mentioned this before, uh, several years ago, a, a, a navigational device, one of those little GPS Garmin's. And uh, we uh, begin to use the Garmin in our travels, and yet as we begin to use the Garmin in our travels, we found that it was often leading us astray and the problem has only gotten worse as the years have gone on and we haven't updated the maps in the Garmin. And so sometimes if we just uh, follow the Garmin blindly, we'll find ourselves uh, at a dead end, you know, and they'll say, you know, keep driving. We're like, we can't keep driving. There's a building there now. Uh, and so there's this, there's this uh, lack of trust that we have in Garmin to give us directions. And so what we do now is this. Before we're going on a trip, we'll look at what Garmin says to do, and then we'll kind of test her out. Uh, we'll look at different maps, and we'll kind of double-check her with Google Maps, and, and then we'll follow her directions. That's right, it's a she. Why do we do that? We don't trust her authority, okay? Jesus doesn't offer that option to us. He doesn't say, look, uh, he who comes to me, hears my words, thinks them over, and then decides to do them, he's the one who calls me Lord. The person who's coming to Jesus Christ and truly recognizes his lordship says, look, this is not the way intuitively I would live my life. This isn't what I would intuitively decide to do for myself, but I recognize your sovereign lordship, and so I'm going to do what you tell me to do. I'm going to submit my life to you and recognize your authority over me not just going to hear, but, but do. You've been going through the book of James in your Sunday school classes before this, this new series that's just been begun, and James says uh, something similar in James chapter 1 about doing and hearing. James chapter 1, verse 22, James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Romans chapter 2 Paul writes this, for it is not the, verse 13, Romans 2, 13, it's not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Jesus is saying, the one who truly calls me Lord comes to me 
hears my words, and then does them. That leads to the fourth characteristic of the one who truly calls Christ Lord. Look at the text. Jesus says, he comes to me, he hears my words and does them, and those three things are tied together, and then it results in this. He says, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug and dug deep, and he laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood rose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. The, per- the fourth characteristic of the person who truly calls Christ Lord is that they persevere. He perseveres. It's a very rich theological idea, the idea of perseverance. And let me just kind of describe what I believe Scripture teaches us about perseverance. First of all, in, in the short term. In the short term, the person who comes to Jesus, hears his words, and, and does them is able to, to persevere in the short term as the various uh, trials in life come about. There's going to be a day in your life if, that's coming, and it could come very soon, where your resolve is tested, where God is going to test the genuineness of whether or not you truly believe that Jesus Christ is Lord of your life. There's some sort of storm in the short term on the horizon in your life if God tarries more than a couple hours. There's something coming on the the horizon of your life that's going to test whether or not you truly believe that Christ is Lord of your heart, Lord of your life. There's going to be uh, some sort of a family crisis. There's going to be some sort of heartache that someone whom you love very deeply causes you. There's going to be some sort of financial crisis. The, the, the company you're, you work for is going to do uh, something with your retirement plan or your pension, and, and you're going to be kind of confused about, what, what does this mean for me, Lord? There's going to be some sort of crisis in your future. And in your heart, you're going to have to say, do I believe that Christ is Lord of my life. Whenever God says to to love, whenever Jesus says, love your enemies, am I going to do it? Whenever Jesus says, woe to those of you who are rich, am I going to believe that? Am I going to love those who do evil to me? There's a time in your life that's coming where the the floods are going to come, they're going to beat against the house, and the genuineness of recognizing Jesus Christ as Lord is going to be either proved or disproved in your life. Perseverance, perseverance means that you continue in acknowledging Jesus Christ as Lord when those storms arise. If you want to turn to Romans chapter 5, Romans chapter 5, Paul addresses this issue as well. It says, here's the response of a person who's truly been reconciled to God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Paul's talking about we've been justified by faith. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. As I've said earlier, that's the most important message that the church can communicate to a lost world. A person gets reconciled to God, has a relationship with God restored by faith. We're justified, we're declared righteous, but that's not the end of things. Verse 2 says, Through him we've also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. More than that, we what? We rejoice in our sufferings. As the storms of life come, as difficulties in life come, as suffering comes, we rejoice. The person who recognizes Christ's lordship rejoices. Why would you rejoice? Why not wallow in self-pity? Well, because of this, knowing that suffering 
produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The person who recognizes Christ's authority in their life as suffering comes, as the waves come, as the floods rise, and the streams beat against the house, the person who is recognized in the lordship of Christ rejoices because they know what suffering produces. It produces endurance, and endurance is going to produce a character and character is going to produce hope as you see God's work within your life. That's, that's what Christ is encouraging us with as he tells these people that are listening to his sermon about perseverance. That's in the short term. But also, perseverance is a very important idea as we think about the long term. As we think not just about next week, not just about next month, but throughout the rest of our lives. What does it mean that a person who truly calls Christ Lord is going to come to Jesus, is going to have heard his word, is going to do his word, and then is going to persevere? This is very, very important for those of us who would profess that Jesus Christ is our Lord. In the long term, perseverance means that we are going to continue as the streams continue to rise and as floods continue to beat against the house, we're not going to say, well, you know what? I endured last time. This time, it's time for the house to fall. Forget Christ's lordship. I'm going to pursue my own way. The person who's truly calling Christ's lord is going to persevere, not just in the short term, but in the long term. Wayne Grudem writes this as he defines perseverance. He says, the perseverance of the saints means that all those who are truly born again, that is, all those who have truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, all those who are truly born again will be kept by God's power and will persevere as Christians until the end of their lives, and that only those who persevere until the end have been truly born again. That's a hard truth. That's a hard truth. You know, Bethany Community Church, we believe in the, the uh, security of the believer. We believe once saved, always saved. But, let me say, and, our understanding of once saved, always saved is also tied to the doctrine of perseverance. That the person who's once saved is going to continue professing Jesus Christ as Lord. There's going to be times, perhaps, of, of falling away. There's going to be lapses in that journey of, of faith. But the person who's truly placed their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord is going to continue in the faith until the end. And the person who fails to persevere, we can't offer assurance of salvation. You say, whoa, let's be careful. Well, let's look, at the, let's look at what Scripture says. Look at Colossians chapter 1 with me. Look at Colossians chapter 1. Paul writes this, And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him verse 23 if if indeed you continue in the faith stable and steadfast not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven and of which i paul became a minister 
Who is presented holy and blameless and above reproach before God? The person who continues in the faith, verse 23. Let me give you three truths, actually, about perseverance. A truth number one we see here, we must persevere to be saved. We must persevere to be saved. Mark 13, 13, Jesus says, you're going to be hated by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. First truth here, we must persevere to be saved. In fact, uh, turn with me to the, the book of Revelation, the very end of your Bible. Revelation chapter 2. Revelation chapter 2, Jesus has some words that he asks John to write to the seven churches. The first church, Ephesus, he says this in verse 7 of Revelation chapter 2. To the one who conquers, that is the one who perseveres, the one who overcomes, to that person I will grant to eat of the tree of life. To the church in Smyrna, the, uh, the second church that he writes to, he says, Uh, this in verse 11, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, that is, will not be hurt by the second death. He says this to the church at Pergamum, verse 17, to the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will give him a white stone. To the church in Thyatira, what does he say? He says in verse 25, hold fast, hold fast what you have until I come. Verse 26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Uh, Chapter 3, to the church at Sardis, he says this in verse 5. He says, the one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my father. Who's the one who receives uh, the confession of his name before the father? The one who perseveres, the one who overcomes. Church at Philadelphia, he says, verse 12, to the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my my God. Never shall he go out of it. Who has permanence in God's dwelling place? The one who conquers, the one who overcomes. The church at Laodicea, what does he say? Verse 21, the one who conquers, I will give him to sit with me on my throne. We must, the first truth here about perseverance, you and I must persevere to the end to be saved. Second truth. Second truth, all true believers will persevere. All true believers will persevere. Romans chapter 8 says this. It's a, probably one of the most important passages as we think about the doctrine of perseverance. Romans chapter 8, Jesus, uh, or Paul writes this in verse 28. He says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, verse 29 Listen to, listen to the categories that he mentions here. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. In other words, God, in his sovereign, by his sovereign work, his sovereign grace, brings people along so that every believer, every true believer, receives final glorification. We see the same thing as Jesus talks in John chapter 10. In John chapter 10, he's he's talking, and he says in verse 26, he says, well, let me start in verse 27, actually. He says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and my sheep follow me. 
I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of, my father's, out of the Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Three truths here about perseverance. A first one, we must persevere to be saved. All true believers will persevere. And then the third truth is this though, God preserves his saints. From a human perspective, we think about perseverance, continue on in the faith striving to continue to obey God. But from God's perspective, it's not just perseverance, it's preservation. God sovereignly preserves his elect, those who have placed their faith in him. Listen to what Paul writes in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 23 and 24. He says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit and body a spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. He who calls you is faithful, and he will what? He will surely do it. 1 Corinthians 1, 8, 9 says that God will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you are called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And then finally, Philippians 1, 6, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion of the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a very important truth for us as believers. If we're going to truly say, Jesus Christ is my Lord, it means we've come to Jesus, we've heard his words, we're committing to doing his words, and we persevere, we continue to do them. It's kind of interesting, this perspective, this human perspective and God's perspective. I mean, because we believe once saved, always saved. God sovereignly keeps his people. And yet at the same time, we recognize in these verses we've just looked at, you and I have an obligation before God to continue to persevere. It's kind of like this. From God's perspective, from God's perspective, it's, it's Romans 9. You know, we're these, we're these uh, pots of clay and, and God is molding them. God's, God's the sculptor. He's like this artist. It's like a, a tailor. Imagine if you're making this, this, this custom suit and you have the world's perfect tailor. He never makes a mistake. And so he goes and he chooses this material from which he's going to make this suit. And once he's chosen that material, it's absolutely certain that that material will, be, will become a suit. And now he begins to fashion and cut and take away the things that aren't going to become a part of that suit, remove them from that, that cloth, and then he fashions this, this suit. And it's certain that once he begins the process, he's going to complete the process. That's it from God's perspective. Now, from our perspective, how does Scripture describe it? It's tough. It's a race. And it's the one who runs with endurance to the end that receives salvation. Now, we're saved initially by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. Once saved, always saved, yes. But the person who genuinely calls Christ Lord continues to persevere in his faith. Philippians chapter 3, Paul describes his own relationship with God this way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12, he says, not that I've already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have, uh, I, I, that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies behead, I 
press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, G- in Christ Jesus. And so from God's perspective, yes, it's like this sovereign artist creating this sculpture, and he's going to do it as he's going to do it. From our perspective, it's like a race. It's strenuous. It's tough. Pastor Art Georges was, was uh, talking with me about my, my running program, and I was feeling like I was doing pretty good with my running. And Art, uh, Art gets personal. He says, you need to lose about five or ten pounds, buddy. You need to lay off the Twinkies, and you need to, to get out. And here's what I want you to do with your time, and here's what I want you to do at this time. And here's what. I'm like, dude, look, all, all I want to do is just run, okay? But Art says, look, here's your goal. And here's how you've, you've reached this far. Now you go the next step. Now you go the next step. Now you go the next step. It's hard. It's difficult. It's tough. That's how the Christian life is. The person who recognizes Christ's lordship comes to him, hears his words, does them, and keeps doing them. When the winds blow, as Matthew, as Jesus says in Matthew, beat against the house the believer perseveres continuing to acknowledge Christ's lordship when the floods beat against the house the believer perseveres continuing to acknowledge Christ's lordship the believer hears Jesus's words and even when they're difficult hard words not conducive to what they would desire to do the believer continues and continues and continues and continues. And when they fall, gets up and continues again. Let's look at the characteristics characteristics of one who falsely calls Christ Lord. This person presumably also has come to Jesus Christ. They, first characteristic here, Jesus says, verse 49, the one who hears and does not, so the first character is, is this person also hears his words. They hear what Jesus says about uh, the things that he's talked about in this sermon, and they, they go through and, and uh, they hear what he says about all these different things that he's, he's telling them to do with loving their enemies and how they're to view the world and this, this kingdom ethics that they're supposed to practice. They hear all these things, and this person makes a different decision as they recognize the authoritative words of Jesus. Second characteristic of this person is they don't do his words. They, the one who falsely calls Christ Lord does not do his words, he says here, verse 49. The one who hears them and does not do them. They make a conscious decision that says, look, what Jesus is saying for me to do doesn't seem like the best way to live my life. I've come to him, I've heard what he said to do, and maybe this person even makes a, a conscious decision. They say, okay, I, I like what he's saying here about loving your enemies, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do good to those who hate me, sure, but uh, judge not, mm, I think I'm going to go ahead and judge. Or uh, this is what God says about material things. Woe to those who, who put their hope in material things, who, who love this, this material world. Not comfortable with that one. I'm going to go ahead and continue and pursue American materialism. That's my goal. I'm going to listen to Jesus on some things, but I'm not going to acknowledge his lordship on other things. The person, Jesus says, who hears my words and does not do my words, thirdly, falls. They fall. Look what happens. Uh, Jesus says, Hear my word, or here's my words, does not do them. It's like a man who builds on the ground without a foundation. So it says in Matthew, on, on the sand. The stream, same situation. 
A stream breaks against it. Immediately, it fell. Immediately, it fell. This person hears what Jesus says to do, but they say, you know what, that's counterintuitive. I'm going to reject his lordship, and therefore, this person falls. This person fails to continue in following after God, after the Lord. 1 John 2.19 reveals that some of these people are actually, have, have been part of the church, have been those who've confessed Jesus. It says, 1 John 2.19, that some went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. Brothers and sisters, those are hard and heavy words, aren't they? If they had been with us, they would have continued with us. If the person had truly acknowledged Jesus Christ as Lord, they would have continued with us. And sadly, our world is full. It's full of people who've made professions of faith in Jesus Christ or have heard Jesus Christ's words and rejected his authority. They've said, I know that's what Jesus says about how to live, but I believe that my path is a better path. And they've rejected his lordship. Leo Tolstoy, in the story, in the, story uh, the death of Ivan Elisevich, writes this. Uh, Ivan is this, this person who's received great prestige in his community, and he lays dying, and as he lays dying, he recognizes that he's made some very foolish decisions. So he, this character says this, it is as if all the time I were going or falling down the mountain while thinking that I was climbing it. So it was. According to public opinion, I, I was climbing the mountain and all the time my life was gliding away from under my feet. 1994, Kurt Cobain, famous rocker, indie rocker, grunge rocker, had achieved am amazing amounts of fame. And in 1994, at the age of 27, uh, Kurt Cobain took his own life. In his suicide note, he wrote this. He said, I've tried everything within my power to appreciate it. That is, I I've tried everything within my power to appreciate my fame, and I do. I appreciate it. I understand it for what it is. He says, God, believe me, I do. And he says these words. But it's not enough but it's not enough. Kurt Cobain had, at one period in his life, lived in the home of a Christian family who showed him great love and, and cared for him. And at some point, he decided to, although he initially made some sort of a profession and, and acknowledged that what they said was right, at some point in his life, he, he turned his back on Christianity and began to say very, actually, mean things about those who are who were of the faith. He rejected the lordship. He heard Jesus' words, he had understand that they were authoritative words, and yet he had chosen not to do his words, and so he fell. It wasn't enough, the things that he had been pursuing. Let me give you three, uh, four applications here as we think about recognizing the lordship of Jesus Christ. Four applications. Uh, the first application is this. Coming to Jesus is not the same as accepting him as Lord. So often in a church, we think, man, if I could just get my, my friend inside the doors of this church and, and get them to, to sit down 
here in, in the chair at the church or get them to Sunday school class, man, I've arrived. Or if I can just get myself to, to come in the walls of the church and sit down and, on a Sunday morning and be, I, I, I've come to Jesus. That's not the same as accepting him as, as Lord. Many people are going to come to Jesus and yet not have hearts of faith recognizing his authority and lordship. Our goal as we think about our relationship with one another in the church should be to have real, deep relationships. Or we can ask each other, hey, look, where is your heart? Where's my heart? Ask me, test me. Second application as we think about this, this hard truth that the one who truly calls Christ Lord is, is saved, the second application is this. Not only is coming to Jesus not the same as accepting him as Lord, but secondly, hearing about hearing the words of Jesus is not the same as accepting him as Lord. Hearing the words of Jesus, understanding the things that he says, is not the same as accepting him as Lord. A person can say, look, I understand that if you love, that uh, I must love my enemies, I must do good to those who hate me, I must bless those who curse me, I must pray for those who abuse me. I understand that intellectually, I agree that that's true, but I ain't doing it. <laughs> And a person may say, well, I haven't consciously rejected Jesus Christ's lordship, but over and over again as events in their life call them to either follow Jesus Christ down the difficult road of discipleship, the difficult road of obedience, or the easy road of disobedience that, that ends in death, they choose, they choose the latter, the easy road of disobedience that ends in destruction. So hearing about Jesus isn't the same as accepting him as Lord. And thirdly, simply doing things for Jesus Simply doing things and saying, well, I'm doing these things for Jesus is not the same as accepting him as Lord. Now, obviously, a person who places their faith in Christ is going to do these things, but simply looking at your works and saying, look, I'm doing some things, and so I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord, that's not true either. And here, quite frankly, I think is where we have the, the hardest time accepting this truth. We look at a person and we say, wow, that person did some amazing things for Jesus. They, they said some great things. They gave some great testimonies. They served in this ministry. I was talking to a person this past week who served as the Sunday school teacher at a, a very solid church and yet now has, has rejected the faith and has, has turned away from the true gospel. And you look at those people and you say, look, how is that possible? They've done such, such great things. How is it possible that that person could fall away from the faith or could, could indicate that they never had a heart of faith? If that person could do it, anybody can, to which I say, exactly. Exactly. It is incumbent upon ourselves to ask ourselves the hard question, is my heart a heart of faith that is going to continue to persevere in obedience to Christ, demonstrating my absolute faith and trust in him. Paul, in the book of Colossians, and we talked about this as we finished the book of Ephesians, in the book of Colossians and Philemon, he mentions, hey, Demas says hi, and Demas is with me. And you read Colossians, you read Philemon, you're like, man, Demas is the dude. That guy is, is, is intense. He is committed to Paul. What a great guy. 2 Timothy 4.12, Demas, Paul says, has abandoned me, having loved this present world persevere 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 fourth truth perseverance is the action of every believer who has placed their faith in christ we persevere not on the basis of our own works 
but upon the work of Jesus Christ in our lives. And every one of us, every one of us has the obligation, remember to think about the context of the Sermon on the Mount, every one of us has the obligation not to be looking at our brothers and sisters in Christ and saying, you know what, I don't like this about you, I don't like this about you, and having this harsh judgment, I'm in, you're out, but looking at our own hearts and saying, God, is my heart a heart of faith? Have I truly placed my, my faith in you, and are you showing me that I have as you continue to help me persevere in my relationship with you? perseverance though is the action of every believer who has truly placed their faith in Christ uh, I I hate offending people it, it actually literally just affects me physically I don't enjoy it it's one of the least enjoyable aspects of my job to, to cause people offense but you know what is probably the least favorite part of my job. Something that I dread far more than offending people is to see people whom I love deeply fall. To have the waves come up the floods of financial crisis, of family crisis, of heartache, of sickness, of illness, come against their house and to see them fall. Brothers and sisters, I want to persevere. I want you to persevere. The heart who truly recognizes Christ's lordship is going to be a heart that, is per that perseveres and is saved by God's grace. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this, this truth that we see here in the story that Jesus gives us of the person whose house fell and the person whose house stood. We pray that we would stand firm, that you would show us as we, as we look at in our own lives, to show us that the fruit of of you transforming us and changing us. And God, as we fall, causes us to, to stand back up and to continue to persevere and persevere and persevere by the grace that you've worked within us. And we pray this in your son Jesus' name. Amen.